0: No matter how we hear it whether it's uh, prayed by a group or read from scriptures or in a song like david coat just sang for us here there are phrases in the lord's prayer that resonate deeply with us this morning we're going to look at just one of those phrases thy kingdom come why is it that that phrase connects so deeply with people who are involved in church on a regular basis, and even many people who only have memories of going to church long ago. We're going to explore that thought. Join me in a prayer for a moment. God our Father, we gather again here this morning as people who are together uh, trying to uh, navigate these unprecedented times. We look for guidance, we look for wisdom on the days when our patience is flagging and when we're tired of the changes and all the restrictions that are going on. We pray that you will continue to supply focus, the ability to be resilient, to find strength and energy and even joy in the midst of this time. Thank you for what you are teaching us. Thank you for the ways that you daily grant us wisdom, understanding, strength. We pray for those who are sick around us, whether they are family members or, or others that are struggling during this time. We thank you for the breakthroughs that are happening. We ask that you would give us the, uh, the patience to continue to walk through this season and the eyes to see others who need the help that that you can give and that we can provide by your strength, and eyes to see where you are leading us next. There are so many unknowns, and so we acknowledge to you that we trust you, and we trust that you will lead us forward. Today we ask that you would give us insight even more into this prayer and into this one plea from the Lord's Prayer. We pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you would say to each of us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Sometimes when we are dealing with catastrophic changes, it is helpful to go back in time and learn from some of the stories of those who have walked through sea changes before us. Leith Anderson, who was most recently the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, tells the unusual story of Sergei Krikalev. Sergei Krikalev had convictions, stability, success, fame, and fortune. He was a member of the Communist Party, a a citizen of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, also known as the USSR, a follower of Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev, and a highly privileged cosmonaut. He earned the lucrative salary of 500 rubles a month. Well, in April of 1991, Leningrad native Krikalev was launched into space to orbit the earth for four months it was to be the largest period of time that somebody had spent in space while he was in orbit however huge changes collapsed the nation that he left behind what do you do when you're in space and everything changes on the ground that you have known all your life most frightening for him was that the failure was the failure of the technical system that was supposed to bring this cosmonaut back to earth With no means of returning to Earth, Krikalev had to stay in orbit for a total of 10 months, 331 days, or 311 days, to be specific. Imagine how he must have felt when he finally came home and stepped on solid ground for the first time in nearly in nearly a year. But home wasn't home. His country no longer existed. Mikhail Gorbachev had been replaced by a previously marginal politician named Boris Yeltsin, who was now the president of a new nation known as Russia. The Communist Party was out of power and in disrepute. Krikalev's hometown of Leningrad had been renamed St. Petersburg. His 500 ruble salary was significantly, significantly reduced by inflation... And now was not enough to buy even a hamburger at the Moscow McDonald's, which existed for the first time. There was no turning back to the old ways, whether he wanted them or not. And Anderson writes at the end of that section, Sergei Krikalev's true story is a parable for the human race. Now, when you look back at a story like this, there was clearly a before and an after in Sergei Krikalev's life. Before he went into orbit, all the pieces of his life naturally fit together. But after 311 days in space and and nearly a year of turbulence at home, everything had changed. Some of the cultural shifts from this past year have clearly altered our American landscape as well. Work has shifted to home. School at every level has been disrupted and reinvented. Churches have been closed down and forced to reconfigure as online and in-person hybrids. Handshakes and hugs have been banished. Who knows if beards are trimmed or lipstick is worn when faces are daily covered by masks. We'll find out when it's over, I guess. It will be interesting to look back and to see whether historians consider this year to be a hinge of history. Sometimes there are certain years that provoke such tremendous change that they refer to them as as hinge years where everything swings on the basis of that change. And so we pray with all sincerity, thy kingdom come. We get tired of all of the changes that are going on around us in this world and we long for the world that is better yet. So I have a question this morning. What does it mean when we pray that memorable praise from the Lord's Prayer, which, which says, Thy kingdom come? That is our topic this morning in part four of our Kingdom Unity series. So let me say welcome to my North River friends. I'm so glad that you're here and that we can explore this uh, Your Kingdom Come theme together today. There's, an, there's a crowd that are here in the worship center with us today. And I also want to welcome those of you who are with us online. As we navigate this season of change, we are together feeling our way forward. So as mentioned earlier, beginning on Palm Sunday, we'll have two in-person services at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And as the COVID numbers go down and the vaccination numbers go up, we find that more people are worshiping with us here in person at our campus. You will still need to register for those services online as we do our best to make this a safe experience. Just don't expect everything to be safe, though. For more than 30 years, we've been trying to make North River Church a safe place to hear a dangerous message that can radically change your life, and we still believe that is true, and maybe even more so in this time. The power of Jesus and His grace has an amazing way of doing that. So wherever you are this morning, my hope is that you will take every step to make this a full participation event each Sunday. You will get the most out of this as you consciously move from being a spectator and choose to be a participant. So even if you're at home, sing when the team leads us in singing, laugh if you think something is funny, clap, stand, kneel, whatever it takes for you to fully engage in worshiping our God with us. For the next few minutes, let's focus on Jesus and how we understand that singular phrase in the Lord's Prayer that we have all repeated so often thy kingdom come. Why does this plea resonate is my question. And I'd like to answer that four ways. The first way that this resonates, first reason that it resonates, is that it functions as a homing beacon for us. When I hear those words, they take me right to Jesus. It is obviously that they come from jesus directly and from no one else because we don't use that kind of phrasing in any other part of our our normal discourse but they don't take us back to a time when all was right and the kingdom was in full power they take us forward to a better time a better day a better kingdom this plea within the prayer that jesus taught his disciples always connects me to his kingdom When we pray them simply by rote, without thinking, they have no power in our lives. But when we stop and consider what this means, they pull us in closer. We struggle with the concept of God's kingdom because of the already but not yet factor that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. When Jesus came and announced that His kingdom had arrived with Him, the already takes place. And yet there are some aspects of His kingdom that are yet in the future, And so next week we're going to talk about what happens when the king returns. Jesus had announced that he'd arrived to claim his kingdom and his people, and yet he was greatly misunderstood by many in his day because the kingdom he spoke of is from another place, and it is not fully realized in our world today. So that phrase, your kingdom come or thy kingdom come, reminds us that Christians always belong to a better kingdom. It's not that we don't love our country, we do. But this that we see around us is not the kingdom. This is earth. This is the United States. This is Massachusetts. No matter how much we love and enjoy where we live, this is not heaven. In fact, will you say that with me? This is not heaven. You know that because of all the crazy things that happen in this world and all the disappointments that happen in this world no matter how much we love and enjoy where we live, this will never be heaven until Christ returns. This is a place, as wonderful as it is, where dreams and people are too often crushed. This is a place, as beautiful as it is, where pollution and corruption abound. This is a place, as plentiful as it is, where poverty and misery enslave. And this is a place, as spiritual as it can be, where idols continue to replace God in the hearts and minds of many. This is one reason why Christian nationalism always falls short. In the 2,000 years or so of the church, the United States was not around for most of it. So as wonderful as the United States is, the kingdom of God is always much bigger and even grander. No single nation comes close to all that God has prepared, and people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, will take part in that kingdom when it comes in its fullness. Thy kingdom come acts as a homing beacon, calling you and calling me home, home to heaven. Phrases and lyrics from songs or lines from a poem often act that way for us. Think of Paul Simon's line, home where my thoughts escape in, home where my music's playing, home where my love lies waiting silently for me. When I hear a song like that, it pulls me to think about home. I remember driving home from Chicago after my first semester in college many years ago. I got a ride with a group of students from the Boston area and we packed about seven of us into a station wagon for that thousand mile trip. Everyone chipped in for gas and tolls and we drove on through the night. It was my first time away from home for a long stretch. And I can still remember what it felt like when we hit the Massachusetts border and those western stops on the Mass Pike. Everything felt good. And when we, when we climbed through the Berkshires and then finally hit 128 South, that sense of anticipation just about exploded within me. The New Testament letter of Hebrews describes Abraham as having this kind of homing beacon. In Hebrews 11 verse 10 it says he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So even while he lived in tents, he didn't settle for the short-term towns and cities that were developing. He was longing for that better country. The same chapter in verse 16 speaks of many people of great faith like Abraham who are in that hall of fame of uh, of faith that is listed in Hebrews 11. And there it says, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Friends, whenever we talk about thy kingdom come, it acts as a homing beacon in our lives, and it points us toward heaven. It reminds us that as wonderful as our setting can be here, God has something even better in mind for us, and that's the true place where we belong. We belong where God dwells. We belong where Jesus is. Here's the second reason that that plea resonates with us, thy kingdom come. It is a rallying call. Heaven is a homing beacon, appeals to those who are already citizens of heaven. That's a wonderful thought. Ephesians 2.19 says that Christians are fellow citizens with God's people, meaning with the people of Israel. Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. You may never have thought about that. But if you have faith in Christ, you are a dual citizen. You can be a citizen here or in whatever country where you hold citizenship, but you also belong to the kingdom of heaven. And your citizenship is there waiting for you. This is why that pull toward heaven is so strong. But what about those who are not yet citizens of the kingdom of heaven, who've not put their faith in Jesus Christ? I believe that Jesus employed this language of the kingdom to draw people toward it and to it. Can you imagine the level of frustration that Jews felt when Rome occupied Israel? You get a taste of the fear and brutality in every period picture that studies that time the clash between these two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world were on full display as Rome-occupied Israel. So when Jesus tells us that his kingdom is from another place, it is also an invitation for those who have not yet embraced him or his kingdom to think, to yearn, to long for, to probe, to inquire, to seek after the kingdom first. Every parable about the kingdom whets the appetite and longing of those who experience the broken kingdoms of this world, calling them toward that better kingdom. I think of my friend who's a secular Jew who came to North River here one Sunday just because of his friendship with Sue and me. That day I mentioned how our rabbi, Jesus, told the story of the prodigal son who took his inheritance and blew it. One of the two sons... He was one of the two sons who became separated from the father and and from the father's great love for his sons. So when the son who ran away was seen by the father off in the distance, he ran to him and hugged him and kissed him. He slew the fattened calf and threw a party to celebrate that his son had come home. When we got to the restaurant for lunch after that Sunday morning, my friend immediately called out to me. I was completely caught up in that story of the father and his sons. I thought of my own father being away from home in the Navy and what it was like when I finally came home. And then he asked this question, who was that rabbi who told that story without fully thinking about it? He didn't want to acknowledge, he didn't want to know that that was Jesus who told that powerful story. But it caught him. And the parables of Jesus are like that. They are stories of the kingdom that draw us toward his kingdom, and they cause that desire within us to want to be a part of what he's doing and want to be where he is. When we talk about heaven with longing, with pictures of the Father's loving embrace, this is a rallying call that God uses to call people who are estranged from him to come home. We must never think that the parables or the scriptures as a whole are only for believers, for Jesus taught them to the seekers and those who are longing to understand as well. So it acts as a homing beacon. It acts as a rallying call. Here's a third reason why that line in the prayer, thy kingdom come, resonates so deeply. It is also a battle cry. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the complete sentence. So how is this a battle cry? Not necessarily in the sense of calling us to warfare or or to fight with weapons. Remember, Jesus told Peter to put away his sword when Jesus was arrested. This is not a kingdom that advances through human power and might. That is one feature that differentiates the kingdom of God from other kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world. It is a battle cry in the sense that it is a call to action. We have seen in recent times that armies do far more than only fight. Sometimes they build schools and hospitals like they've been doing in Iraq and Afghanistan for years now. Sometimes battle cries are about establishing justice in the land. Here is one glimpse of that call to action. The Apostle Paul wrote these words about 30 years after Jesus had ascended to the heavens. He writes in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus' plea calls us to agitate for the values of heaven to come into play here and now. And so in that vein, Paul's vision in Galatians 3.28 calls for equal treatment for all women as one of those values. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And Paul sees all of the class divisions that had separated people as being irrelevant when we come together as one people of faith, who all are made new in the image of Christ. And there the Apostle Paul was sharing a vision for what the church made up of people who are new creations in Christ is supposed to look like. Folks, sometimes we're meant to fight for those things and to follow that That battle cry that called action abraham lincoln came to embrace that same call by the end of the civil war after lincoln was shot president andrew johnson backed off on lincoln's reforms then a new president u.s grant called on general sherman to deploy the u.s army to protect the rights of african americans to vote to own land and to build a business in the south so during the early part of the reconstruction era from 1865 to the early 1870s Black citizens made great advances here in the United States. Some were elected to state government roles and even to Congress. But then the compromise of 1877 and a disputed election led Rutherford B. Hayes to make a deal with leaders in the South, and the soldiers were removed, and a period known as the Redemption Period took hold. This referred to white efforts to take back the South, leading to the rise of Jim Crow laws that did damage and took lives for decades. We cannot understand the marches and the civil protests and the struggle for freedom in our day led by Martin Luther King Jr. and others without realizing that this was a battle cry to restore the justice that Abraham Lincoln and U.S. Grant began and that others destroyed. And the cry that comes from the human heart among Christians to treat each other equally across the board. People like Lincoln, Grant, and King ultimately believed in applying the values of the kingdom of heaven to the broken world and broken structures that we live within today. Praying words like, thy kingdom come, and and on earth as it is in heaven, can do that. They become dangerous words when we become captivated for the vision of what God longs to see take place, while we also see the brokenness that still is all around us and becomes a battle cry that leads us to advocate to bring the values of heaven into play here in this world now. And then one fourth thought, it resonates as well because this statement is an identity statement for you and me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have a question, how many of you own a passport? Just let's see a show of hands many of us do here in this room. A passport is a wonderful document. It allows you to travel to other countries with the proof that you are a citizen of the United States or whatever other country where your citizenship is held. I first got one in 1992. Sue and I took a trip to see some, some of the places where her family had lived while she was growing up in Europe. And so we spent five days in Paris and five days in Switzerland. Since that time, I've been to England, Germany twice, France twice, Holland, Belgium, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Austria, Canada, and Peru. I'm hoping to go to Israel this summer if our our trip from North River here ever really takes place, and then later to the Czech Republic this fall. You know what the best thing is about a passport? Each time, this document lets us come back into the United States freely. That's the best part of the whole deal. You get to come home because you have a document that says you belong. It's an identity statement. Praying your kingdom come or thy kingdom come identifies your longing for heaven and to see the values of heaven being put into practice here and now. And Jesus longed to see that too. It's why he embedded those words in this most memorable prayer. He would not have taught his disciples to pray this way if this was not the case. Next week we're going to close out this series by looking at the return of the king. Revelation gives us a glimpse of this final piece of the kingdom puzzle. And this relates to thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The final scene of the Bible reveals a prophetic vision given to John, the last of the living disciples of Jesus and the author of John's gospel. The kingdom of heaven and the dwelling place of God comes down to earth as the Lord establishes a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and the Lord dwells in the midst of His people forevermore. The final stage of God's great plan is one of restoration. Restoration of the earth in its original splendor and more. Restoration of God's people from every nation of the world in one fellowship where Jesus reigns as the king that God the Father has installed over all of His creation. Restoration of God's people in complete, intimate fellowship with the Father forever. Oh, there's so much in that one line in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven. So here's the big idea for this morning. Thy kingdom come, not only leads us home, it calls us to make our home more like heaven. I wonder if you would pray a, a prayer for, with me. It's short, but it's going to pop up here. Lord, help us live for you while we're here on earth, and help us to make earth more like heaven now by living like we belong there more than we belong here. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to leave you with one final thought about Jesus. This is called, My King Is. The
1: Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of Lords. That's my king. I I wonder, do you know him? (laughs) My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's marking. That's marking.
0: Amen.